1: Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com.
2: It's just past 4 here on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. You're tuned to the Tim DeMoss Show get an early start on things because we have a great guest. We want you to make sure we get every minute in we can. Uh, Briefly, the forecast for the rest of the day and the next few days really just very cloud heavy. Lots of them. Low low of 36 tonight. 52 the high tomorrow. May get some rain late in the day and tomorrow night. 53 for the high on Saturday. Looks to be cloudy then as well with rain off and on, and same deal for Sunday with a high around 45. Flyers and Sixers both lost last night. Tonight on Thursday Night Football, it's the Chargers at the Chiefs. Uh, our guest this hour is uh, a lady named Rebecca Alonzo, and she is the author of a book called The Devil in Pew Number 7. My brother Bob is an author, and he's written uh, many books or co-written many. This is one of them, but the focus for sure this hour is is on our guest Rebecca and a story of uh, it's, people think it's fiction, but it's not you know, we're gonna let Rebecca share her story and it includes a lot of uh, around the theme of forgiveness. So thank you for being here, Rebecca. how you doing?
3: Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you for being on today. Uh, the book is called The Devil in Pew number Seven that we're going to get to. but before that we want to step way back for a story uh, that you know we could be here for hours and days for it, I'm sure to share. Um, but we wanted to have you on not just because of the the uh, the book itself and the story and what can be learned from it, but also timing-wise, being the holidays, the theme of forgiveness is, is very much show in this book. And so it's a time of year where forgiveness is certainly necessary. And uh, so we can get into all that. But maybe you could start by just sharing a little bit about your mom, your dad. We can talk about the story and, and kind of chronologically walk through it a bit.
3: Sure, sure. Well, your amazing brother, Bob
2: DeMoss, co-wrote this book with me, The Devil in Pew Number 7.
3: Uh, so I appreciate his talent and um, how he was able to pull together a lot of research that we did for this book, uh, because it is a true story, even though when people hear it, they, they do struggle to believe that this actually happened in a small town in North Carolina in the 70s. Uh, my, par- my parents pastored a church in Whiteville, North Carolina, And um, I was born after they moved into the parsonage next to the church, and so I grew up with everybody kind of being like a second family. You know, our family were down in Mobile, Alabama, in in, um, Louisiana, so we were 700 miles away in North Carolina, so aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa just adopted everybody there, and very loving community, wonderful church, grew from about a dozen people to over a 100 within a year, small farming community, so that was huge church growth uh, quickly, but it was because my mom and dad really loved people, Mm. and that's why people loved coming to this church. They um, drove 45 minutes away, they lived 45 minutes away and would drive in sometimes just to be in the services, um, the fellowship after the services, so... The community loved my parents. The church loved my parents. But we had one man who sat in pew number seven every Sunday, and um, he had kind of been like the godfather of that community. His name was Mr. Watts. He loaned money to the farmers, would attach uh, high interest rates on the loans, and if they couldn't pay it back, he would just take their land. And the land had been passed down for generations, you know, three and four generations. So it was precious inheritance, um, that would be taken by Mr. Watts, and people were very fearful of him. He had a lot of control. He was a county commissioner. And so when my 30 something year old dad came in and started setting up, um, boundaries and removing him, uh, removing his wife as church secretary and, church treasurer. And, you know, Mr. Watts was just infuriated by that. And I don't think he had anyone ever really stand up to him like my dad did. My dad was an ex-Navy guy, almost (laughs) (laughs) 6'4". Wow. You know, big guy. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, here's my dad and my mom just loving on people. And and he was the only one. Mr. Watts was really him and his brother-in-law were the only ones that really did not appreciate what my parents had come in and done with this community. And so um, he began harassing our family, and he would actually pay people to do all this stuff. So he could say he didn't have anything to do with it. He would pay um, people to call and hang up, you know, 30, 60 times a day Before a caller ID, death threats in the mail. You will leave – the community was called Sellers Town. You will leave Sellers Town walking, crawling, dead or alive, you know, uh, serious wow. threats. And then by the time I was four, he was – four years old, he was hiring people to do drive by shootings.
2: That's crazy. So, this is crazy.
3: It, it really was. It really was. And the local, you know, police department, you know, they, they, we were always calling when I was little, you know, living in North Carolina, they would say, call the law. You know, they didn't say call the police, call the law. Yeah. So we called the law a lot. You know, I grew up with police lights in my yard a lot. And um, when all of those things didn't scare Mr. Watts, uh, my dad away, Mr. Watts um, hired these guys to do um, dynamite, put dynamite around our home
2: so, in the, our church. And for those just tuning in, uh, Rebecca Alonzo is our guest. The book that we're talking about is called The Devil in Pew Number 7, and, and in that case, uh, Mr. Watts is the one in Pew Number 7. As a, a parenthesis to this, it's funny you say that because I find myself sometimes, it's almost like you have season tickets when you go to church. you, you you wander and you kind of sit in the same spot every week, uh, you know, And and uh, and in his case, did I mean he, he was a fixture in that spot, right? So, seven pews away, there's no way for your dad to have avoided eye contact, I and mean, would he even disrupt the service, uh, back yeah. in the beginning? So, he was, yeah, okay, so very much, oh, yeah. Like started small. He was every pastor's nightmare. <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you think he was trying to get, try initially? it's Just like if he could get, if he could have gotten your family to leave town, that would have been okay. That's all he was really probably after—to regain control.
3: That's right. Okay. That's right. And um, we see this a lot. We see this a lot in churches. Yeah. Uh, controlling people in churches, whether it's a small church or a big church. Okay. Um, you know, there's just people that want control. And, and I, I hear, I get emails from pastors all over the world that have said, well, I don't have a devil in pew seven, but I've got one in pew two and pew ten. And, <laughs> you know, yes. So it's sadly relatable to them. But, um, you know, by the time this man was doing having dynamite put around our house, these explosions could be heard miles down the street, by the way. My brother had been born. Uh, one of the worst explosions went off um, in my parents' room where my baby brother was sleeping. He was about five months old, and it blew out three windows in that room. I mean, glass, wood shards flying through the room like harpoons. And, you know, my mother would read <sharp inhale> Psalms 91 to me, and she, and it says that God will protect you, that his angels will guard you, that they will cover you with their feathers, you know. And so when my mom's friend went in to get my brother after that explosion, she said Daniel was asleep. He didn't even roll over. There was not one piece of glass on him. The angels had covered him. And it was all in his crib. I mean, it was everywhere except on him. So we saw miracles. Even during this time of terrorism, the church kept growing. Which was which is crazy. You know, you've got a church and, and a pastor's family being shot at and blown up, and the church is still growing. And so I watched my parents, you know, during this time, as little kids do. You know, I never heard them talk badly about Mr. Watts. That was their example to me. They did not speak badly of him. They prayed for him. I prayed for him as a little girl. Like I said, my dad was a Navy vet, totally could have taken uh, matters into his own hands. We had guns, you know, in our house, and he was a hunter and a fisherman, Um, you know, a man's man. And not only did Mr. Watts sit in pew number seven every Sunday, but he lived across the street from our house. So you're talking about not being able to get away from someone who hates you, who wishes harm on you and your family. And, you know, my mother felt like Mr. Watts hated us so much that he actually had a spirit of hate and murder on him, like Saul with David in the Bible throwing the spears at David. Yes. Um, When David was there to help, just like my dad was there to help, Um, my mom said, you know, even if we leave, because a lot of people are thinking, by the time I've shared this much, why didn't they leave? Why didn't they pack up and leave? She said, I believe even if we left, he would hunt us down. He has political connections. He was a multimillionaire. He had the money. He had the power. She said, leaving is not going to save us. She said, God called us here, and the shepherd doesn't abandon the sheep, so we're going to stay. And so that terrorism escalated after five years to a shooting happening inside of our home. And it was on Easter weekend of 1978. I was seven years old. My brother Daniel had just turned three. And Mr. Watts provoked the man to, who was a friend of the family, but struggled with alcoholism, to come into our home after his wife, who was staying with us, and gunned down our parents right in front of us at the dinner table. Unbelievable. And that day just really shattered, you know, our lives um... witnessing that and the first chapter of the book the devil on P number seven, my autobiography, the first chapter of the book is me running for help. I'm seven. I've just witnessed my parents being gunned down in front of me. The man is holding his wife hostage. You know, my parents have been shot. So, I'm sent for help. My my dad was conscious enough to say, go get help. So. I, I talk more about that day in the book and and how, you know, the loss and the trauma and yeah. all of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Rebecca Alonzo, uh, author of The Devil in Pew Number 7. We're going to continue this story in just a sec. We need to do a short break. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL, also WFIL.com. Back in just a moment.
1: It's The Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening.
2: It is 414 AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. As we continue our conversation, we're with Rebecca Alonzo, author of a book called The Devil in Pew Number 7, and just telling a, an amazing story. Um, you know, as you're sharing the story, there are a lot of questions that popped to my mind. I'm sure you've had tons of questions over the years, including why, you know, did the family stay? People probably asked you that. Uh, why didn't anybody do anything? Why did it? How could you literally have so many... Uh, uh, and, you know, things of intimidation, phone calls, and and drive-by shootings, and and uh, dynamite, and all that. Uh, I mean, it's a lot, right, to process all those questions. I
3: think like, you know, first of all, why my parents stayed under such persecution. But when we hear about missionaries taking their families and moving yeah. to Africa or India or somewhere, you know, you know that they're stepping into a commitment to share the gospel under fire, right? Um, but it's harder for us as Americans, I think, to accept something like that happening, not as a, a, an away missionary, but as really like a local missionary, an evangelist, you know, reaching out, saving the lost. And my mom and dad were pioneers in the gospel. I mean, they traveled for years as evangelists and knew that they, they laid their cross down, you know, they, they just laid their lives down. That's, that's what people would say. Ramona, my mother, why are you staying? Why are you staying under such persecution? She would say, Christ gave his life for me, and I'm willing to do the same. And she huh. did. Yeah. She did. And she gave She gave her life for Jesus and for her friends. And so the, the, as far as the law enforcement part of it, the local police were involved in investigation. They had state police come in, and they had, um, you know, rewards, you know, for— information on who was doing the drive-by shooting, who was doing the bomb. When the bombing started, like I said, the FBI were brought in to do investigations. And um, like I, I said also, that we all knew who was behind it, but it was getting proof. They were so slick, and they would space these dynamite attacks out over a few months. Like we would get one, and then three months later we would have another one.
2: Mm. Sometimes
3: it was around the church, sometimes while we were having service, like on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and then sometimes it was around our home. Ten dynamite explosions in over a period of two and a half years. So he was relentless. I mean, like the Bible says, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Yeah. He was. He would pace out in front of our house at night, just rubbing his hands together, thinking of the next thing he could do to our family to, to get us out of that town. Wow. And so when the shooting happened, when he provoked this man to come in and, and shoot our parents, you know, that was um, that was what ended up ma- making us leave the town because my mother went to heaven. My dad survived the shooting. We had to move to Mobile, Alabama to live with his parents so that they could take care of my brother and I. Like I said, I was seven. My brother had just turned three. My dad had got gunshot wounds he was recovering from, and we had to start over without my mom. Mm. So we did end up leaving, but that was not the desire of my parents, yeah. you know, for for it to happen that way. They really felt called there. And, you know, it's neat because when I went back to do research and your brother, Bob, who, who co-wrote the book with me and another friend of mine, when we went back to do research, um, 30 years later, you know, that was a big deal for me to go back to that town see those people still calling aunt and uncle they still love my mom and dad they just they have never really recovered and then when i got to talk to them and say you know what i forgave mr watts for everything he did to our family i watched my parents do it so i forgave him i forgave the shooter i forgave harris williams who shot my parents right in front of me. I actually had to fly back a couple of months after the shooting with my dad to North Carolina and testify at the murder trial. It's an eight-year-old. I had just had a birthday, first one without mom. Had to fly back to North Carolina and testify at the murder trial. So I watched my dad again forgive the shooter. So that was my example, was to pray, ask God to help you, forgive because if you don't, it will eat you alive. And we had already lost so much, you know. And then to um, pray for that person. You know, the Bible says, love each other in First John 4, 7 and 8. Love each other. And then the Bible also says, love your enemies. Well, that only can happen um, with the grace of God, <laughs> which is the ability to do something you can't do in your own strength. Rebecca. The grace of God is the ability to do something you can't do in your own strength.
2: Mm. Rebecca Alonzo is our guest, and that, that's a a great word. The book The Devil in Pew Number Seven we're talking about and sharing uh, Rebecca sharing her story and um it, even just beyond that time then, what was life like in the in the years that you know, say months and years that followed be, uh, because there was another you know hard thing happening with your father, right? A few years later he
3: correct. Um, we call it, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder now. I don't think that was diagnosed as much back then. But my dad suffered, you know, with that and was in and out of hospitals with his nerves. And he always came home. We were waiting for him to come home. He had been sent away, and we came home from school one day, and we were told that my dad, who was only forty-six years old, had nothing physically wrong with him that we knew of. Uh, he did have some heart damage from the dynamite explosions going off. Um, they did find that uh, during one of his hospital stays. But um, as far as we knew, there was nothing physically wrong with him, but he, that he had passed away that morning from a blood clot going to his heart. Now, I'm 14 by this time, and my brother is 9. Both of us, you know, had to grow up without mom for those seven years, even though we had great family support. Our Aunt Dot, my dad's sister, really, you know, took us in and took care of us. But when my dad died, oh, wow, it just shattered. It shattered my life um, in a different kind of way than when we lost Mom because my dad was, I was a daddy's girl, Mm -hmm. and so we were really close. And and I I would have rather had him broken with PTSD than not have him at all. So when I lost him, when he went to heaven, I really got angry at God, like, for a couple of years, and I know there are probably people listening right now that might relate to that, where you know that, that that God is in control, so that means that he allows things to happen in your life that maybe sometimes he prevents for some people and doesn't for others, and that's something that we have to reconcile in our hearts, do we trust God or not? when he doesn't allow it and when he does allow it. So I fought with God for two years over that. Why did you take that? You know, why didn't you just heal him? We've seen other people healed. He would pray for people with nerve problems, with mental illness, and they would get healed. But he didn't get his healing here. He got it in heaven. So after a couple of years of struggling with that, I finally let go of all that anger. And this unbelievable supernatural peace came into my life that i needed actually that my dad had prayed over my brother and i when we were little you could walk by him sitting in a chair and you could hear isaiah fifty-four, thirteen coming out of his mouth and my children shall be taught of the lord and grace sh- great shall be the peace of my children all your children will be taught of the lord and they will enjoy great peace so when I let go of all that anger towards God for allowing these horrible things to happen to a good family that were, we're doing good things for the kingdom for people, that's when the peace came. That's when the healing came. That's when, um, you know, God just came in and really did a work in my life that no one else could do. Um, there, there was not any medication on this earth that could have pulled me out of where I was going because I was heading down a dark path of suicidal thoughts, and, you know, I just don't want to live anymore, and my parents aren't here, and, you know, just that kind of thing. And then, you know, God just came in and just poured His peace and love and and healing into my heart that gave me the ability to go on with life and have joy and have purpose even though these horrible things that happened to
2: us. Rebecca Alonzo, our guest, the author of The Devil in Pew Number 7. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Back in just a moment. Have
1: a guest you'd like to hear on The Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com.
2: 427 AM 560, WFIL, WFIL WFIL.com. Thank you for tuning in to the program today. We continue our conversation with uh, Becky Alonzo. She is the author of a book called The Devil in Pew Number 7. You were able to let go of your anger by God's grace. Um, How would you encourage others to do that? It's perhaps easier said than done.
3: Right. Well, when my mother was killed, um, like I said, in front of me, because my family, uh, I was a little girl, I was seven, and my my family taught me the Bible, and they taught me about loving people and forgiving people and different examples in the Bible, Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers, you know, rejected and, and sold and And, you know, just hearing those Bible stories, I think, as a little girl, helped me understand, oh, bad things happen to good people, but this is what God says to do to deal with it. So as a little girl, I followed my parents' example, my family's example through the Bible. And then when I was a teenager and I lost my dad, I had to learn how to forgive on my own. I wasn't a little girl anymore, Hmm. and that's when I got really mad at God and he is so faithful and good that he walked with me through that process he walked, he he allowed me to just be truly honest with my feelings for over two years. I said, "God, I am so mad. I can't believe when mother died, a man took her life, but when daddy died, you took him. why? Why didn't you heal him And so I had to come to that understanding that I had to trust God anyway. I had to trust Him when He protected us and didn't allow bad things to happen, and then I had to trust Him when He did allow bad things to happen, because the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight that He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So I had to keep going back to the Bible, going back to the Word of God, going back to the truth, and forgiving over and over and over. Every time I would hear a date that would remind me of my death, my dad's death anniversary or my mother's birthday or, you know, when I graduated from high school, when I got married, when I had my children and my parents aren't there. And we were a close family, you know, a loving family. And not having them, I had to revisit that decision, I forgive. I forgive these men. These men who were used by the real enemy. Mr. Watts was not the real enemy. The devil is the real enemy. Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God, because we don't fight flesh and blood here, even though we're all used by the enemy at some point, either on a minor or a major scale. But the real enemy is the one provoking that. And so when I separated it and said, these men hurt my family that they were provoked by the real enemy. Then that helped me forgive the person and then focus the anger towards the real evil, the real the real culprit behind all of it. Mm. So I've had to make that decision over and over and over through the years. And when you know that you know you've forgiven someone, which is the question I get a lot, how do you know when you've truly forgiven? When you can forgive them pray for them and bless them then you know that you've truly forgiven them when you can get to that point it's a process you know but when you get to that point where you can bless them example after the book came out the um it got in front of a dr phil producer and they said you know we want you to come to la and we want you to, to do a show with the shooter the man that gunned down my parents And we were, well, how how can that happen? Because he was sentenced to life in prison, plus 15 years for assault with a deadly weapon. So how can that happen? Well, he got out of prison early, 20 years. After 20 years, he got out. We weren't notified. We didn't know he was up for parole. We could contest nothing. We just found out he has been out.
0: Whoa.
3: So we all flew out to um, L.A. and were on the Dr. Phil show. Your brother Bob was there with us. And had had a show about forgiveness with Dr. Phil. Saw the man who shot and killed our mom and shot our parents, our dad, and told him face to face, "Harris, we forgive you. We forgive you. We forgave you a long time ago, and we still choose to forgive you." And it was it was amazing. I still have emails. I still have people reach out to me about being able. And like I said earlier, it's the grace of God, the ability to do something you can't do in your own strength. That's what helped my brother and I look at the man who shot our parents and be able to say, we forgive you.
2: Rebecca Alonzo, our guest. Yeah, you mentioned your brother too. And uh, how has he been through all of this uh, over the years? You, you guys because you're you're little when this, the the attack actually happened, and when all the other things were happening prior to the attack, and then teenagers or, or 10, 12, 15 as your father passed, and so have you guys had that kind of cushion relationship where you, you support each other and even help remember things together, and you know what happened and all that kind of thing.
3: Yes, my brother and I've always been close, and you know when we were on the Dr. Phil show, Dr. Phil asked Daniel, he said, you know, you were three years old when your parents were shot, do you remember anything? And he said, I remember snapshots. You know, he was three. And sometimes trauma can ingrain it in you so that you don't forget it. And Mm -hmm. then sometimes it can make you actually forget something. You know, it's just trauma affects people in different ways. But Daniel remembered it in snapshots. And his last memory of our mom, she had been shot, made it to her bedroom, was on the floor. He followed her. And he said, I remember Mom laying on the floor, you know, bleeding, crying, and praying. And he was standing there, a little three-year-old boy, saying, Mommy, hold me. Mommy, pick me up. And Mom couldn't, you know. She just she couldn't. And we found out later that she died within three to five minutes of being shot. But God helped her get down to her bedroom and pass away instead of being in front of my dad and I, you know. So I look at the things that God did spare us of, and that Daniel then came and and got under the table with me where I was hiding. So I was always very protective, big sister, probably a little too bossy sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt this need to protect him since he was a baby yeah. because of all these attacks Of course, and now he's almost six four he looks like our dad he's mm. kind he's smart he's a mechanical engineer he's married he has a little boy that just turned one and god has just taken this unbelievable tragedy and turned it into a beautiful tapestry you know they say that that Corey Tim Boone poem, we only see the underside with all the strings and you know, we can't see and then God's looking at the top of that tapestry with all the colors and he uses the light colors and the dark threads in our lives to make that beautiful tapestry of what our what our 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 purpose was here on on earth. And so that's what I do. I just share the story of love and tragedy loss, um, to yes. seeing how God can restore, help you forgive and be healthy and and healed and, and redemption um out of that. So when I look at my brother and his wife and their baby, I just, just say, Gosh, Lord, you're so good You know, he, he, he healed me of, of PTSD. I used to struggle really bad with a lot of um symptoms and what's funny is I didn't even know that that's what it was until I looked it up one day I'm like oh yeah panic attack sure yeah
2: yes.
3: <laughs> I had those I didn't know that that's what it was found but sure you no. know but I was the peace of God. It's bigger.
2: Amen. Amen. Rebecca Alonzo, our guest, uh, the author of The Devil in Pew, number two or four, number four, number seven. I'm thinking about the time here, 436. We're going to do a short break and continue our conversation with Rebecca. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. It's AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com.
1: Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons, 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues.
2: 439 AM 560 WFIL, WFIL WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. You can get the podcast of this program around 6 o'clock. We usually have it up within an hour after the show being over. So if you're just tuning in or wondering what's going on, you're listening in, you can get the whole picture, uh, you know, around six o'clock and beyond this evening. You can download that and let other people know about it. Uh, Going down to 36 tonight, a lot of clouds. And just that's the way it is. It looks like for the next few days, high 52 tomorrow, at least warming up some 53 for Saturday, probably a couple of showers late tomorrow and or on Saturday and Sunday, maybe another one as well with a high of 45 flyers and Sixers both lost. uh, And then Thursday night football tonight, the chargers, Or at the Chiefs. Our guest today, Rebecca Alonzo, The Devil in Pew, number seven is the book. It's an incredible story. Lots of trauma, lots of drama, lots of forgiveness. Uh, and and one reason I wanted to have Rebecca on Is because at this time of year with the holidays Sometimes there's great wonderful times around the tree Or in the kitchen and visiting people But sometimes there's an accentuated Situation there where if, the, if a relationship's Not doing great, if there's some problems within the family or Within friends, it gets accentuated At uh, Christmas time And so you talk about forgiveness there a lot Rebecca, and just one of the themes in our conversation Just coming through how important Scripture really is with all this, right? Absolutely, absolutely And
3: Uh, Matthew 6 talks about um, if you forgive others of their sins against you, then your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, He will not forgive you. And they, my my family were so good about teaching me that as a little girl. Like, we all need forgiveness. We all need mercy on minor and major levels. We all need it. Um, You know, one of the things that that my family were so good at, like I said, was not talking badly about the people that had hurt our family. And that was such a huge example. And part of my healing was that they didn't spread the poison. You know, they didn't, um, yeah. infiltrate my mind as a little girl to try to say, look at this person. Look how bad they've hurt our family. I never heard that never heard that. I'm not saying they didn't think it. I'm saying that they were wise enough not to pollute my brother and my soul with anger and hate towards people who hurt us. So I think that's important, even during this Christmas season, too, when you're around family, and some families are close and wonderful, and they get along, and then other families struggle. You know, they struggle to be together. And I I just want to encourage people, you know, if you can Think about the things that you love about your family instead of thinking about the things that annoy you, aggravate you, have hurt you. Then you will have uh, uh, you will you will be free to really celebrate Christmas instead of being distracted with the fence.
2: Well, Rebecca, when so when that, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead.
3: So that's what I just want to encourage people today. If you want to enjoy your holiday. You know, if you want to enjoy your family, think about what you love about them instead of what you
2: don't love about them. Well, and as I was writing down some things to ask you about and talk through, uh, you know, about the book, on one side of things, I'm thinking, okay, it's good to hear the story and kind of unpack what happened. And then there's also the the healing that God has brought and forgiveness. And, and it's still, like you said, you per- periodically perhaps have to revisit or or reassure and make sure like, yes, I'm, I'm good. I'm trusting God, uh, not only with your situation and and the elements in the book, but also life in general with other people. But I was going to ask you to the, not that there's a formula and it may be a little bit different for different people, but what would you um, say for folks who are really wrestling with a lot of struggles with forgiveness? Maybe they really truly have been wronged or uh, I've often been in situations with people where, yeah, they were wronged, but they, maybe they also did some wronging as well. There are going to be a lot of different situations. But do you? how much do you spend or suggest perhaps people spend recounting the wrong and the details? I could ask you lots of questions about Mr. Watts, for example, many more questions. Did he do this? What about that? And, and if you maybe could become an expert in all the wrong stuff and uh, some of that's maybe freeing. And and with the way you should go to kind of sort through it, but how do you how have you dealt with that kind of thing where you just don't want to say oh and like it doesn't even matter like oh she's she's in denial she's not even paying attention to it compared to now she's like really really familiar with her hurt and and the thought of forgiving is out there but it's not real am I making sense I hope I am
3: right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right well I, I, like I said I think when when we ask God to give us His love for other people. That love is unconditional, and there's no strings attached. I think especially with family, we have expectations, and when those expectations aren't fulfilled, we get disappointed. And then when we get disappointed, that can lead to anger, and then it can lead to bitterness, and it's just an awful path to go down. Um, so I think when when we become aware of... You know, is this person really trying to hurt me? I mean, recently I asked one of my family members, are you trying to hurt my feelings? Hmm. You know, (laughs) instead of just saying you hurt my feelings, I gave them the benefit of the doubt like Jesus did on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't really know what they're doing. If we would give our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors the benefit of the doubt, realize that they they might not even know that they're doing something that hurts us. You know, when I asked my family member that the other day, are you trying to hurt my family? They said no. And then that gave us an opportunity to talk it out. But I think it's the way that you can approach people in in love, in mercy, in benefit of the doubt, that helps you have an opportunity to talk to them. I know families that it's tense when they get together because they have a truckload of offenses that they've kept record of through the years. And you have to take all that, and you have to lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I forgive them because I need forgiveness. I need to forgive them for for, for me to be healthy and have peace. Um, I need to forgive them to shut the door to the enemy who comes in and constantly accuses these people to me I need to shut that door and I need to think what do I love about this person what can I be thankful for because this person has been in my life for a reason God you don't get to choose what family you're born into you know so you're in a family for you know a reason and I know that like you said some hurts can be deep and they can be I was I was in Hawaii speaking at a church there, and uh, I had five services in one day, <laughs> and a mom wow. came up to me after one of those services, and she said, can you please pray for my daughter? I was at the book signing table, and I said, sure. She said, my nine-year-old daughter has had things done to her by her dad that should never be done to anyone. Mm-hmm. I said, well, where is she? She said, she's over there behind the bush crying. But she heard your your story, and she saw that you could forgive, and she would love for you to pray for her to forgive her dad. Wow. Wow. See, if we forgive, God will use our stories to help other people forgive. Amen. You know, if we will give it to him, if we will give him the hurt, the offense, the justified anger, if we'll give all of that to him, he will take it, It's an exchange. It's a beautiful exchange. All your hurt, loss, betrayal, offenses, you give it to him, and then he gives you peace, healing, restoration, and a love that you can't even understand. You cannot even understand it. When we were at Dr. Phil with the man who shot my parents um, after the show, and this was your brother Bob's idea, he had a Bible there for us to give, Harris, and it had his name embossed on it. It was a beautiful leather study Bible, and we went to the green room after the show and found Harris. He was there with his son. They were crying. It was emotional for all of us. You know, he spent 20 years in prison away from three sons. Yeah. His one bad decision took him away from his family. And we said, Harris, we, we have a gift for you, and we, we want you to have this Bible. He had his name, like I said. It was a beautiful Bible we we have a gift for you and when you read this Bible we want you to know god loves you god loves you and he he forgives you and we forgive you and we hugged imagine hugging the man who shot your parents and saying we forgive you and giving him a hug see that's 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 on down the road for some people they might not be there right now But if you keep giving it to God and you keep asking him to help you, we got to the place where you forgive as a choice, then you pray for them, then you bless them. And we were able, thankfully, my brother and I were able to get to that place where we could bless the man that took so much from us because of God's grace and mercy for our own lives.
2: Rebecca Alonzo, author of The Devil in Pew, number seven. You can find out more about her, Rebecca Alonzo with a Z.com. We'll continue our conversation, wrap up as best we can here in our waning moments. AM 560, WFIL, WFIL WFIL.com. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for listening in. Back in a second.
1: Thanks for tuning in to The Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. 4.52,
2: 4.52, Tim DeMoss Show rolls along here and wraps up soon. Uh, Rebecca Alonzo, the author of The Devil in Pew Number 7, our guest. One of the key things in being able to forgive, which is a good part of what the program is about, is being more familiar with God's Word and what He'd have us do, as opposed to being super familiar with all the hurt that we've experienced, not to blow by that. But sometimes divisions and lack of forgiveness stem from a person just holding on to the right to be right. And uh, can't move past that until somebody else says uh, they were wrong and all that. And, uh, and then that that's where things wind up staying for a long time.
3: Absolutely. I talk about that in the
2: book, too.
3: Um, chapter 15 is all about forgiveness. And one lady read it. She came up to me. She said, I had to read that chapter three times before I finally <laughs> forgave the person that hurt me. And I said, well, good for you for not giving up. You know, because now she has peace. I received a letter from a lady in her 70s who said her brother had been so mean to her growing up, but after she read our story, she said, I finally forgave him. She said, he's dead. He's not even alive for me to tell him I forgive him. But I'm going to live out the rest of the years that I have on this earth in peace now because of your example of forgiveness. So we have That's a nine-year-old right. little girl who was molested by her dad and a 70-year-old um, woman who was treated badly by her brother. You see what I mean? Yeah. It, there's no there's no discrimination with God or the enemy. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter how old you <laughs>
2: are. That's a good you know? point. That's a good point. It's a very good point. So, Rebecca, it's been a pleasure so, having you. and. uh I feel like I'm gonna go take a nap now. Like, I guess <laughs> like all good information. <laughs> I guess like, let me, let's just let this marinate for a while and and think, but no, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more for you than for me to, to recount and share all of this is, is a uh, very precious. And, uh, I'm sure God will use it. And, uh, for folks though, who, um, uh, number one, they can get the podcast on our site. We'll have it up after the show, but also if folks would like to maybe have you come share, I understand you do occasionally. We'll go out and do some speaking, um, and and can speak to at conventions, or, or how does that work, retreats, or whatever it might be? How does that work?
3: Yes, yes. Um, I, I do uh, travel and speak and share our story and do book signings, and uh, you can go to RebeccaAlonzo.com. That's my website, and reach out to me there, or you can email me at freedom at gmail.com, okay. and I would be happy to uh, discuss details on coming to your church or your event or or what are you, whatever you have going on, I actually had someone reach out to me recently about speaking to a police department mm. about trauma that they go through, and also trauma that um, that victims' families have gone through. So I'm looking forward to God opening that door because I, I know there is so much healing that needs to take place out there for our law enforcement that are in the on the front line every day for us. Oh, yeah. You know, so God just opens up doors, and He you know, it's 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 really neat to see and, and hear all the stories after I share my story of, of people getting healed. One lady in a uh, women's conference in Wisconsin, after she heard my story, she went to her pastor and said, I want you to go to the jail and speak to the man that raped me and share the gospel with him. Wow. See, that's the amazing, powerful love of God. Whenever you pray for someone who's hurt you, God can use it for good.
2: Wow. Well, you know what? Praise God, because that's where ultimately, you know, that's that's why it's possible. That's why. That's why we can, whether we're young or old, or dealing with something small or medium or large or supersized or multiple supersizes. This is possible. That there's hope in that, even if that's the only place people could, you know, right now they're coming away listening. Even if it's just that, you know, it's possible and, and will happen with God's help. It may take time, but it's God's power at work in us that makes these things happen. So uh, and that's been evident, the way you've been sharing throughout our time together. Uh, so thank you for, for doing that, for taking the afternoon here and spending time sharing.
3: Absolutely. And thank you, Ken, for your show and for giving me this opportunity to share the story of forgiveness again. And I pray that it helps your listeners today to just step into that place of forgiveness and freedom that is available and that they would thoroughly enjoy this holiday season and celebrating Christmas and Christ's birth.
2: Well, you've given us a good gift to to chew on and think about. And uh, hopefully folks who are listening at this time and struggling with forgiveness, uh, and even I'm I'm listening and, and taking notes too. Because there are lots of opportunities to forgive, whether it's my wife, my children, they with me, or amongst ourselves. These are some good things for us to discuss. So I'm sure we'll do that around the dinner table. So uh, thank you for that early Christmas present, too. <laughs> so Merry, Christ- Merry Christmas you, to Pam. you. Yeah, yeah. What, do you have any plans for Christmas? Are you, are you spending time with family, I guess? We're spending time with
3: family, and we, we will be loving, and we will be forgiving, <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> because
3: we have to live what we preach. <laughs>
2: That's right. That's right. So,
3: um, we do get opportunities, though. We get opportunities to live what we preach. So, um, yeah, just grateful, just grateful, and um, and I pray that people would enjoy, you know, because you never know when your last day on this earth is going to be, and so you, you just really want to love people well and forgive quickly.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. Have a great rest of your day.
3: Thank you. You too, Jim. All
2: right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Rebecca Alonzo, author of The Devil in Pew Number 7, a very dramatic, traumatic story, and yet one with incredible forgiveness and a story that continues on. Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries, Leads in Prayer Next, and Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. You can get the podcast of today's show, by the way, in about an hour at WFIL.com.